0: Jesus, we've been singing to you. We've been remembering how holy you are, how awesome you are. And we want to see you. We want to see more clearly. We want our vision of you to break through. And so now as we look at the story of Joseph, it's going to take us a little while to get there, but we're going to see Jesus. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we see more clearly what, what we already know, but we need to be reminded of. And that's why Jesus is so awesome, so worthy of our praise. So open the eyes of our heart. Amen. Good morning, Regen. Good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dick Wiedenheft. I get to be on the leadership team here at Regen as the lead pastor. And we're continuing through the story of Joseph this morning. And as we're beginning, and speaking of of heaviness, have you ever looked at a dysfunctional family who just kept making the same negative choices and suffering from the same problems again and again, and you wondered if they would ever change, if there was any hope for them? Maybe it was a movie that you watched, something like Little Miss Sunshine, or a TV show like Family Guy, but maybe it was the family of someone you care about, or maybe it's your family. We're we're in the middle of this series on the life of Joseph, and Joseph comes from just such a family. The the problem is, (laughs) though, in the case of Joseph, his messed up family is God's special family, The family that God has chosen to use to work out his plans to bless the world and save the world. And and as you hear the story of this family in the book of Genesis, you wonder if this family is going to make it and how God is ever going to use them for any good. Well, today's the moment we've been waiting for. Today's the, the breakthrough moment that, that we've, as we've been painfully following the story of this family because today we see how God finally brings healing and health to the relationships in this family. And we learn that there's always hope for any family if God is involved. With God, there is hope for families. There is hope for relationships. There's hope for individuals. In today's story, we learn that that God has a way of making the events of life conspire to offer us and to push us toward making choices that will move us toward healing and peace for badly broken and hurting and unhealthy relationships. Last week, we saw through the eyes of Pharaoh's cupbearer what was um, or what had happened to Joseph during the years that he was in Egypt. Today we're going to find out what was happening to Joseph's family back in Canaan all during those 20 years or so that Joseph was in Egypt. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 42. If you have your Bible, it's near the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible. uh, Or pull it up on your phone, Genesis chapter 42. We're going to be looking at chapters 42 to 45, and we won't be able to read every verse, but we're going to get through the whole thing. Remember we learned that last, or we learned last Sunday that God had revealed through a dream that there would be seven years of famine at that time in that part of the world. And as this famine got severe, Joseph's family back in Canaan, this family was also happening there, or this famine was also happening there, they got hungry In fact, so severe was the famine that their very existence as a family, as God's special people, grew tenuous. So then Joseph, uh, sorry, Jacob, I'm going to have trouble with Joseph and Jacob this morning because they both, but hopefully you know what I mean, even if I say the wrong one. Jacob, (laughs) the patriarch of the family, hears that there's grain in Egypt, and he says to his 11 sons, So chapter 42, why do you just keep looking at each other? (laughs) Go down to Egypt and buy some grain for us so that we may live and not die. So we get the sense from the way Jacob puts this that he and his sons have a strained relationship, to say the least. That things may not be going well in the relationships of this family. Then verse 4, Jacob insists... That his favorite son, Benjamin, stay home from this trip, stay out of harm's way. Jacob is still playing favorites as dad. We saw a few Sundays ago that Joseph had been his favorite, and the older brothers hated Joseph for being favored and actually sold him into slavery in Egypt. And now Jacob insists that Benjamin stay home with him as he sends the other 10 brothers on this risky journey to buy grain in Egypt. And lo and behold, so the brothers go down, the ten brothers, when they arrive in Egypt and they bow down to the Egyptian ruler overseeing grain sales, who is it but their long lost brother, Joseph? But of course, they don't recognize Joseph. He's grown into a man, he's dressed as an Egyptian. We looked last Sunday at the story of the amazing series of events that elevated Joseph to this place in Egypt. Well, Joseph, he does recognize his brothers right away. And can you imagine one day, out of the blue, you're going about your life when your past suddenly, without warning, comes springing back to life, invading your world, confronting your memory, arresting your heart. How does Joseph feel about his brothers after all this time when suddenly they're in front of him? Has his heart healed from the betrayal, from their their callous cruelty toward him? Or is Joseph bitter? How will he respond now that he's standing there with all the power and they're vulnerable? Well, Joseph pretends that he doesn't recognize them and he speaks harshly to them. Where are you from? Verse 7, he demands. From Canaan, they explain, we've come to buy food. Then then Joseph remembers that his brothers just bowed down to him, and he'd once, as a boy many years ago, had a dream that his brothers would bow down. We, We read about that in Genesis 37, but in that dream, it was all 11 brothers who bowed down, and now there are only 10. Where is Joseph's closest brother, Benjamin? He's not with them. Benjamin is Joseph's only half brother, or sorry, only full brother, by the way. All the other brothers are half brothers. All of that's another story. But Joseph responds, liars, you're spies, he accuses them. No, they protest. We've just come to buy food. We're all the sons of one man. We are honest men. You're liars, Joseph insists again. You're trying to spy out the land. Do you think Joseph is enjoying seeing them squirm here? <laughs> well, they protest their innocence again. We're not spies. We were 12 brothers, the sons of one man. Us 10, one of the brothers is no more, and the youngest is with our father. Ah, Benjamin is safe, Joseph, I'm sure, is thinking. Joseph comes back at them again, verse 14 now. No, it's like I said, you are spies. Here's a test if you want to prove otherwise. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Now Joseph, I'm guessing, is being guided by his dream here. In the dream, all 11 of his brothers bow down to him, including Benjamin. Then he continues, "To prove yourselves, one of you go and get your brother. Meanwhile, the rest of us can ro- the rest of you can rot in my prison." <laughs> basically and much as they'd sold him into bondage so many years ago so now joseph turns the tables and he has them all thrown in the dungeon revenge must be sweet but three days is enough time to think things through And Joseph probably realizes, if my nine brothers remain in prison and only one of them goes back, he can't possibly bring enough grain back, enough food for the extended family back in Canaan. They might all starve to death in the meantime. So Joseph relents. Verse 18. Do this and you will live, he says, for I fear God. If you are honest men... Let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go back and take grain to your your starving households. Verse 20. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and so that you may not die. This prompts a discussion among the brothers. Which of the ten will remain imprisoned in Egypt at the hands of this cruel, paranoid Egyptian official? while the rest go safely back to their family in Canaan, right? Do you want to be the one? (laughs) At at this traumatic prospect, they, they have what might be their first pangs of guilt, verse 21. They say to one another, surely we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Their their, uh, sense of this is that God is finally bringing on them the consequences of their sin. And as a result, they're finally waking up to their wrongdoing. Sometimes that's what it takes. It takes some pretty tough consequences to get us to wake up. Well, then the firstborn Reuben speaks up, verse 22. He might be making sure that he's not the one who gets picked to stay in prison. He reminds them, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Right? Not my fault. But you wouldn't listen to me. They, of course, don't realize that Joseph understands everything that they're saying. And Joseph hears Reuben, and this is a moving moment for Joseph. He turns away from them and he weeps. Why? Because families back then were hierarchical, hierarchical, and the firstborn was the leader. And so Joseph had probably always held firstborn Reuben responsible for what had been done to him when they sold him into slavery. But all this time, Joseph had been wrong about Reuben. Reuben had actually stuck up for him, it wasn't Reuben's fault. Boy, I don't know if you've experienced like, like I have when I've been mad at someone about something only to find out later that they didn't actually say what I thought they said or didn't mean what I thought they meant by it and it was all one big misunderstanding. This is a moment like that for Joseph with Reuben verse 24 well well joseph then goes to the next brother in line if reuben is cleared then the blame falls on the second born simeon so joseph has simeon taken from them and as a lesson to them all so they get a sense of what it feels like to be a captive he has simeon bound right in front of all of them simeon's taken away the rest of them are sent home but joseph is still wondering i'm sure has my family changed at all is is there any hope for healing for reconciliation with them so he decides to test them he says or rather they say that they're honest men let's see if they really have grown honest So before they leave, verse 25, Joseph has the money that the brothers used to pay for their grain secretly stuck back in their sacks. Well, that evening they stop for the night on their journey, and one of them opens their sack and finds the money. Verse 28, My silver has been returned, he moans. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sink, and they turn to each other trembling and say, what is this that God has done to us? What if we get in big trouble for not paying for our grain or or for stealing back our silver? What if someone finds out? They're getting the picture that, that God is at work here somehow and they don't think that's a good thing. They think it's a punishment. Remember also, they had sold their brother Joseph for silver many years ago. And so silver is a powerful symbol for this family silver in their face well when they get back to their father jacob they have some explaining to do and here's how tense the relationships are between jacob and his sons and and we can base get or we could guess based on what we know of these brothers that they've given joseph many or rather jacob many reasons in the past to mistrust them right we saw the story of judah a few weeks ago we saw what they did to joseph So now, first, they have to explain why now Simeon isn't with them anymore. I I mean, um, so they tell their story, and and it's got to sound far-fetched, right? I mean, how many other foreign travelers have gone to Egypt to buy grain, and what had these brothers done to get themselves singled out and accused of spying? What did they do this time? What have they really been up to in Egypt? Their story doesn't make sense. What are they covering for? And then Joseph's or Jacob's suspicions are seemingly confirmed. Verse 35, they all open their grain sacks, and what is there but all the silver that they were supposed to use to spend on the grain? They act surprised, but surely they're lying through their teeth. What really happened to Simeon? Why isn't he with them? And if they didn't buy the grain, where in the world did they get it? Did they sell Simeon for the grain? What's going on here? It doesn't make sense. So verse 36, Jacob explodes. You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. No, Jacob says, no way, you are not taking Benjamin. Then, firstborn Reuben speaks up Dad, trust me. I'll I'll bring Benjamin back safely. Otherwise, I'll let you kill your two grandkids, my sons. As if that sick offer would be appealing to Jacob. Like, what is Reuben thinking? (laughs) But Jacob is adamant No, Benjamin is not going down with you, Joseph is dead. Benjamin is the only one left. If I lost him too, I would just die. No more mention of losing Simeon. No concern for the nine brothers who are standing right in front of him, his sons. Benjamin is the only one left. Jacob's still dysfunctional himself. He's still playing favorites. He still doesn't love his other sons nearly enough. And so Jacob is turning the knife. Inadvertently cutting deeper into the hearts of his other sons As a dad, he probably feels disappointed In how his boys have turned out They've let him down, maybe they're failures in his eyes But it's partly his own fault, right? (laughs) He has been far from an ideal father He's been playing favorites, he's been wounding them all deeply They're one big, hurting, messed up family How will these unloved brothers respond to the continuing rejection of their unfair father? Well, events conspire, so it isn't long until we find out. They run out of food again. This family is being pressed on every side. God has allowed famine on the one hand that's threatening their very existence— And then there's Joseph on the other, holding Simeon hostage, refusing to sell them food unless they bring Benjamin down. But then there's Father Jacob, who's stubbornly and hurtfully refusing to give up his treasured Benjamin. Well, the stalemate's finally broken when Judah steps forward. Judah! (laughs) The one who took the lead in selling Joseph into slavery. The one who failed so badly with Tamar. Corey walked us through that whole messed up story a couple weeks ago. Judah tries to do what Reuben failed to do. He tries to get Jacob to give them Benjamin. Judah recognizes that if nothing's done, he and his brothers and Jacob and all their children and their wives are all going to die of this famine chapter 43 now verse 3 he reasons with his father and insists our story is true the man in Egypt won't sell us food unless we bring Benjamin and then Judah takes a huge step forward in his growth and in his character he says in verse 8 send the boy along with me I myself will guarantee his safety If I do not bring him back to you, I will personally bear the blame before you all my life. Judah is offering here to be responsible. (laughs) If he fails, he will forfeit his property, his inheritance, he'll he'll bear his father's bitterness, whatever, whatever his father wants to do. Let it fall on me, he says, if I do not bring the boy back safely. Judah is stepping up, and his passionate speech moves his father Jacob. Jacob chooses to trust his sons, to believe their story. And as a good father should, he chooses to give them some wise advice on, on a, a wise course of action uh, on how they should go forward. Verse 11 he suggests they bring a gift to the Egyptian official. He reminds them again to return the silver that they were supposed to uh, pay during the first trip, concluding maybe it was a mistake. And then finally, for the first time in verse 14, Jacob prays for his sons. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so all 11 brothers hurry down to Egypt. They present themselves to Pharaoh, who, uh, or rather to Joseph, who, who they still don't recognize. Um, and he sees that they have Benjamin. So he arranges for them to be brought to his house, the mansion where he lives. And the brothers assume the worst. I mean, why would this... Why would they be invited to this Egyptian official's personal residence? Like, what's going on here? They probably know that Egyptian officials at that time kept dungeons in their basement. <laughs> um, you know, Joseph lived in one for a while in Potiphar's house. Ver- verse eight, uh, 18 Surely they reason he's got some sly plan to attack us and to throw us in prison. They figure it's because they went home with the silver. So they're wary to enter the house. They catch the steward at the door, and they confess about the silver. They're like, we brought it back to return it. We're honest men after all. We don't know why we have it, but here it is. So they've passed Joseph's first test. They're honest. And so Simeon is brought out to them and rejoins them. The steward takes them into the house. They prepare for Joseph's arrival. And when Joseph arrives... All 11 of his brothers, including Simeon and Benjamin, now bow down to him. Joseph's dream has finally been fulfilled. That prediction given so long ago has now amazingly come true. God has been at work after all. Who would have guessed 20 years before how God would have worked all of this out to bring Joseph to this point? But God has been at work. God has been there all along. Joseph asks his brother about themselves and his brothers and and about his father. They eat together. It's a very moving experience. I'm summarizing here. Maybe healing is possible for this family, But but Joseph needs to test them further. Verse 32, when the meal is served, he makes sure Benjamin gets five times more than the other brothers. (laughs) Right? Like, he can't possibly eat it all. (laughs) But Joseph is testing his brother's jealousy. Do they feel toward Benjamin, Jacob's new favorite, like they had felt toward Joseph when he had been the favorite? nothing comes of it they eat freely and easily so far so good then joseph dials up the test significantly verse 42 as they're packing up to leave joseph has the silver cup that he used at the party slipped into benjamin's sack and they're sent on their way a little while later joseph sends his steward after them to accuse them of stealing the cup Of course, the brothers, again, are dumbfounded. They protest their innocence. Joseph is really making his brothers sweat here, isn't he? He's testing them. And and you know, sometimes God allows us to to be tested too, and not with the same motives that Joseph had. (laughs) But God allows unfair or tragic circumstances to come into our lives, and, and those become a source of testing for us not because God enjoys seeing us sweat, but because these tests bring to the surface what we're really made of. They show if we've changed and if we've grown. They test our character and they show what's really in our hearts when we get squeezed. Well, the steward says in verse 10, whoever's found with the cup will become a slave. And when the brothers open their sacks, To their shock and horror, the cup is found in Benjamin's sack. And they are so gut-wrenchingly sick to their stomachs that they tear their clothes. This is the absolute worst-case nightmare scenario. So they all head back to Egypt. And when they see Joseph again, he castigates them. Well, Judah takes the lead again verse 16 but he doesn't really have a defense to offer he says i have no idea how the cup wound up with benjamin we're just all going to have to be your slaves now why is judah offering them all as slaves the steward said only the one who had the cup needed to be a slave i wonder if judah would rather be a slave in egypt than have to go home and face his father (laughs) And, and To tell Jacob he failed to keep Benjamin safe. And does Judah want to drag all the other brothers down with him into this? We'll all be slaves here in Egypt. Well, Joseph won't give him this option. Verse 17. No, Joseph says, Only the one with the cup will be my slave. The rest of you are free from blame. Go home to your father in peace. Joseph, listen carefully to this. Joseph is giving them a chance, the brothers a chance, to do it all over again. To do to Benjamin a milder form of what they had done to Joseph so many years before. Joseph is giving them a chance to leave their younger favored brother in slavery and to save their own skins. In fact, not only is Joseph giving them this option, he's pressing it on them. Will they sell out the younger favored son again? And Judah steps forward to answer the question. Judah, if you can believe it. Listen to this passionate speech, verse 18. Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh yourself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. Verse 21. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so that I may see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. Verse 30. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servant will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, Judah, he's referring to himself here, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, I will not bring him Or if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. And then listen to this. This is the moment on which the whole story turns. This is the moment where the healing of this family fully begins. Judah continues, verse 33. Now then, please let your servant, me, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah is concerned about Benjamin. Judah is concerned about his father, Jacob. No more than that, Judah sacrifices his own life for the sake of his father and for the sake of benjamin who had been caught with the cup judah offers to take the place of the guilty one so the guilty one can go free so the beloved son can be with his father judah sacrifices himself for his father his father who has wounded him by loving him less judah sacrifices himself for the son he's jealous of who's been unfairly loved more judah chooses to love them both anyway and in love he chooses to lay himself down for them wow has judah come a long way or what (laughs) judah of all the brothers is now sacrificially loving his family It's so powerful that it deeply touches Joseph And he completely breaks down He's ready to forgive He's ready to reconcile Because it's when we have a heart like Judah's That healing can come to our relationships Chapter 45 So Joseph bursts into tears He weeps uncontrollably And I can't read this story without getting choked up He says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. And of course, they're dumbfounded. But Joseph's brothers have changed. His family can be reconciled. He can be accepted by them as a brother again. They can be a family again. God has worked all this out. Joseph sees God's hand now, even in his being sold by his brothers into slavery he gives god credit for the whole thing god has taken this family who were dysfunctional who were fraying at the edges who were in no way fitted to be used by god and 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 who were brought to the verge of extinction by this famine and god has been working with them and god has been healing them and turning them around and now with joseph reconciled to them they can be saved from the famine saved from starvation Because to their wonder, the one they thought they had sold to slavery and suffering and an untimely death is actually very much alive and sitting on the largest stockpile of food anywhere in the known world. So through Joseph, God has saved them all. And God is using Joseph and God is using their family to save and bless the whole world after all. Which is the calling of this family they're finally starting to fulfill God's purpose for them. Joseph can see it all now, the dream that he had, God's bigger plan in it all. Wow, what a story, right? It's not done, but we're done for this morning. (laughs) I'm not quite done. But as we close, (laughs) I want to ask really briefly, what is this story trying to teach us? Well, there's so many things. It's a story about redemption, about hope and healing for messed-up families, about hope and new beginnings for messed-up people, about repentance and change and transformation, about how God will use the hard things, will use our suffering to help us grow. But I think, above all, it's a story about leadership in God's family. Because as, as we keep reading the biblical story, we learn that Judah is the one chosen to lead God's family forward and to father the tribe through whom will come the leadership of God's people, King David and the Davidic kings of Israel, and ultimately the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. That's why Jesus is sometimes called the lion from the tribe of Judah. It's Judah, because in God's kingdom, leaders are those who lay down their lives for the sake of those they lead. Like Judah did. Godly leaders are are like Judah. They will sacrifice themselves for those they lead. And they will give their life in love for others. Why? Well, one reason is because, as we saw earlier, God gives opportunities for families to heal and for relationships to get healthy, but there's no guarantee that that will happen. And for it to have a chance of happening, someone has to take the lead. And it's best if it's someone with some power, with some influence, maybe a parent, maybe a boss, if it's a work setting, maybe a church leader. But someone has to be willing to be the one to humble themselves and to put their own interests aside and maybe even to pay the price for the others in the family. In God's kingdom, that's real leadership. And that's what our leader, Jesus Christ, the lion from the tribe of Judah, has done for us. That's why we praise him. Amen.